From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Is there a link between mental illness and violence? I'm talking today with Dr. Ronald Pies, a professor emeritus of psychiatry at Upstate and a clinical professor of psychiatry at Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston. He's researched this subject and has a paper in the journal Psychiatric Times called Moving Beyond Motives in Mass Shootings. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Pies. Thank you very much, Amber. So do I understand correctly that there's no good evidence linking mental illness and violence? So, Amber, the short answer is there is only a weak and qualified link between mental illness and violence. Uh, My uh, upstate colleague, uh, Dr. James Knoll, and uh, his colleague, Dr. George Annis, uh, estimate that the overall contribution of people with serious mental illness to violent crimes is only about 3%, a very small uh, percentage. And when you examine these crimes in detail, an even smaller percentage of them are found to involve uh, firearms. Uh, That said, uh, as um, Dr. Fuller-Torrey has shown, there is a link between untreated mental illness and violence, uh, particularly when there is substance abuse involved. So uh, the key really is that when serious mental illness is adequately treated, um, there is little, if any, increased risk of violence. Interesting. Well, what about um, victims of violence? Are people with mental illness more likely to be victimized? Probably so. Uh, It's hard to get good data on this because we're heavily dependent on self-reporting. So people are asked, have you had any Uh, instances in which you were the victim of violence in the last month, things of that sort. Uh, So you're dependent on self-reports. But most of the evidence suggests that uh, folks with psychiatric illness are much more likely to be victims of violence than uh, perpetrators of violence. Now, in terms of gun violence, do we know how many deaths by guns are murders versus how many are suicide? Well, actually, uh, most uh, uh, gun deaths in in this country uh, are, in fact, uh, suicides, um, which a lot of people don't realize. They think about uh, gun shootings and they think about homicides, but uh, something like uh, six in 10 uh, gun deaths in this country, uh, really an enormous percentage are uh, suicides. Um, And... I know that we're going to be talking about mass shootings. Um, Maybe I can just put that in perspective a bit, if that's okay. Yeah. How often is mental illness a factor in mass shootings? Well, first of all, let me just say that there's no consensus on the definition of mass shootings. So that's one problem in answering questions. But if we define mass shootings as incidents in which uh, four or more people are killed, Uh, The FBI estimates that fewer than 1% of gun murders in this country occur in mass shootings. Uh, As I mentioned, most gun-related deaths in this country are actually suicides, uh, about 6 in uh, 10. Now, as far as mental illness and mass shootings, um, Dr. Noel and George Annis uh, 
to whom I'm, I'm quite appreciative for their, their teaching on these issues. Uh, they estimate that mass shootings by people with serious mental illness uh, represent less than 1% of all yearly gun-related homicides. And furthermore, a, a recent FBI study found that only about 25% of mass shooters ever received a diagnosis of mental illness. And only three of those uh, individuals had a diagnosis of a psychotic disorder. So this uh, popular idea of the crazed mass shooter or the psychotic killer, these are really, uh, for the most part, these are really myths. So when we think about mass shooters, and unfortunately there have been several in recent years in America, uh, are they generally premeditated? Do people plan out what they're going to do and, and go do it? Or do they just snap and react? Right. Good question, Amber. Uh, most mass shootings do involve advanced planning. And sometimes uh, it's very detailed and extensive planning. Um, you may recall the recent mass shooting in Nova Scotia, Canada, I think that was in April, um, where the shooter had actually created this fake um, RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police Car. Um, people thought, oh, he's, uh, or he was uh, claiming that this was a tribute to the uh, police. Well, it turned out it was part of this really bizarre, elaborate plot he had uh, to engage in a mass shooting. So no, uh, people don't just snap and commit mass murder. Uh, also, many mass murderers uh, intentionally plan not to survive their own attacks and intend to commit suicide or uh, to be killed by the police after committing their crime. So the, the basic answer is no, people don't just snap. Generally, the mass shooters do quite a bit of planning. So are they doing this because they want attention? or they want to be remembered as having committed this horrible act of violence or what, what is the motivation? Well, the motives probably differ from shooter to shooter. And, and Dr. Noel and I have argued that uh, the media sometimes spend an excessive amount of time trying to figure out uh, the person's motive, which often doesn't get us very far. Uh, one thing we can say is it, it's not just killing for killing's sake. Um, many, if not most, uh, mass shooters, as you implied, are seeking attention of some sort. I would call it notoriety um, or even infamy. Uh, and unfortunately, in the age of the Internet and social media, many mass shooters do wind up with a tremendous amount of publicity. And I think that that's exactly what they're looking for. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with psychiatrist Dr. Ronald Pies. Is there a profile for mass shooters? Well, there's no one size fits all profile of who carries these out, uh, Amber, but there is a very general profile for most mass shooters. Unfortunately, it's so broad that it isn't really useful predictively. Just in terms of demographics, uh, the overwhelming majority of mass shooters, about 95% are male. And 
that's a long, long story that we probably won't have time to go into. Uh, but it's very unusual to find a female mass shooter. Uh, I actually saw one study looking at um, 113 mass shootings in this country between 1982 and uh, 2020. Only three of those were carried out uh, by women. Hmm. Now, in terms of psychological profile, um, we really don't have good clinical data since, uh, as you might expect, very few of these mass shooters have been evaluated by mental health uh, professionals. But the evidence that we do have suggests that uh, many shooters fit a profile that uh, I call the three R's, uh, rage, resentment, and revenge. Um, and in addition, uh, mass killers tend to share a number of uh, psychological and behavioral characteristics, uh, some degree of depression, uh, resentment, which I mentioned, social isolation, they tend to externalize blame. In other words, everything is everyone else's fault. Uh, they often have a fascination with uh, violent entertainment uh, videos and the like. And often they have a very keen interest in weapons and weaponry, uh, a really kind of a fixation or obsession with uh, firearms. So that's a very general profile. And as you can see, that would probably identify thousands and thousands of people who, who do not become mass shooters. Right, exactly. Are Well, are there risk factors that we can be on the lookout for then that would raise the risk of violence in general? Yes, uh, there are risk factors for violence in general. Um, and the most important risk factor uh, for future violence is uh, a history of previous violence. Uh, that's probably the strongest predictor. If you've done it in the past, um, you're at a high risk for doing it again. In addition, we know that um, there are several risk factors involved in uh, violence or violent crime in general. So we're not necessarily here talking about mass shootings. Uh, we could be talking about an assault, for example. Uh, so alcohol and drug use increase the risk of violent crime by as much as sevenfold. And this is even true among people who do not have a uh, history of mental illness. Binge drinking raises the risk for serious violence. Uh, other risk factors include a history of having been abused or bullied, uh, witnessing violence between parents, which is interesting, as sort of modeling that behavior. Uh, I mentioned a preoccupation with weapons, or death, uh, people who have in general poor control of their anger, and people who are socially isolated. All of those are risk factors for serious violence in general. What about, are there red flags that would predict imminent directed violence? How, if you know someone with some of these risk factors, is there something that would signal to you that, you know, they're about to do something? Uh, yes, uh, there are. Um, you know, this, this goes against the idea that people just snap. Um, actually, perpetrators of mass shootings often display some warning signs before their violence, such as engaging in recent acts or threats of violence, or uh, violating a protection order, for example. Uh, another warning sign is what's called leakage of intent. This is when a future shooter intentionally or unintentionally uh, starts spilling the beans, starts revealing clues to a third party. Like, hmm, you know, I've been having these thoughts about uh, going after that school. 
and surprisingly, people will actually share these ideas uh, with other people. Um, so those uh, warning signs uh, may present opportunities for interventions that, that could actually uh, save lives. And, and some data show that actually in more than half of mass shootings, a shooter exhibited at least one uh, dangerous warning sign uh, prior to the shooting. Wow. Well, what's the difference between someone who was bullied at school, who has a substance abuse history, and who's romantically rejected but doesn't kill people, and someone who does? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Amber. I don't know that we have a clear answer to that. Now, clearly, only a small fraction of people who meet the profile that you just outlined wind up killing or shooting people. There are probably dozens of factors that shape the trajectory for uh, any given person. Uh, the, the FBI's study of active shooters, which is a little different than mass shooters, but it's, it's similar, uh, they found that the presence of a grievance is an important factor. Uh, and it, uh, the FBI report actually identified various grievances in, in about 79% of the active shooters, uh, usually in the realm of interpersonal or employment action. So somebody um, got fired recently, they have a grudge against their employer. Um, that may uh, set them up uh, in addition to some of the other personality factors that we talked about earlier, rage, resentment, social isolation, tendency to externalize blame, et cetera, et cetera. So all of those uh, probably affect the trajectory for a, a certain percentage of the people who, who fit the profile that you just gave. Do you see mass shooter copycats? Or do they try to outdo one another? Uh, I think there's pretty good evidence that they do. Um, there's a lot of evidence that some mass shooters have made very careful studies of their predecessors uh, in a kind of admiring way, almost like uh, a cult figure uh, might be admired. And um, some of the mass shooters really seem to want to outdo one another, kind of be the biggest name in the history books, which is a real problem because they get so much publicity. With the stress and pressure everyone seems to be under related to the pandemic, are these conditions that will potentially fuel would-be mass shooters? Yeah, I don't think we know whether mass shootings per se are likely to increase as a reaction to the pandemic, uh, Amber, but uh, the Brady Center uh, is reporting that gun sales are surging across the country, uh, apparently in response to fears related to the coronavirus. Um, so uh, given that people are in uh, isolation, quarantine, uh, and uh, given that marital stress and family stress is increasing at this time, I think that is actually kind of a worrying uh, finding. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Ronald Pies. He's a professor emeritus of psychiatry at Upstate and a clinical professor of psychiatry at Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.